Um, don't forget Rockridge Children's Camp is fast approaching June 25th through 28th. The cost is 170 Please see Erica or myself if your children are interested in Rockridge Children's Camp. Youth Camp in July. There's a sign-up sheet on the information table, uh, July 16th through the 20th. Bryson and Brooke are out of town for a week in the Dominican Republic. So we need to pray for them and their mission team as they serve the Lord there. So continue to pray for Bryson and Brooke. Camp Wilds also is in July and a sports camp. So we got a lot going on this summer. If you're interested in anything, please let me know. Uh, update on Michael Creed. I've been talking with Michael. He's still raising support to go back to, to Japan. I think Michael needs estimated about 45, 50 families to commit to $35 a month. So I just put that out there that you give as the Lord leads you to. But, um, you know, Michael is, is, has been traveling all over the country, really, uh, raising support. And, uh, Michael, we're praying for you and, and God's ability to, to meet your needs. Okay. Um, hey, let's stand. I'm going to ask Jeff Rude if he would lead us in prayer. Jeff, why don't you come on up here? You're not shy. We're grateful for Mr. Jeff and uh, grateful to be in worship today. Amen. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. And we got the best father anybody could ever want. Because we can say that, you know, Abba Father. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, just, I just thank you that, that you're my Heavenly Father, that you love me unconditionally. Uh, you're always there to forgive me. All I have to do is ask your forgiveness, Lord. I just ask that uh, you go with each and every one of us. Uh, lead us, guide us, and direct us in all your ways. Just keep us on. The, I, I always think back uh, to Psalms 23. Uh, lead us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake, Lord. So thankful that uh, sometimes we disappoint you, but you still love us. Thank you for the many gifts you've given us, Lord. Especially thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. You looked at the world. You saw how messed up it was. You tried and you tried and you tried. Uh, your last alternative was to sacrifice your own son for our sins. We just thank you for that. Uh, we just ask that you bless us service today lord let the holy spirit speak through pastor neil let us take this message home with us lead us guide us in direction in all, all your ways once again i just thank you for your son jesus christ who paid the ultimate price for our sins covered all our sins with his blood and it's his holy and precious name that we pray amen, amen. you remain standing we're going to open our service this morning with singing grace greater than all our sin
last week, our children, we ran anywhere from 70 to 45 kids here each night for Vacation Bible School. Um, and we have a quick video that we were going to show during offertory, but we're going to go ahead and play it in a few minutes if possible. It's a minute and 30 seconds, and it kind of recaps the week um, as Mr. Scott's coming down. And the kids are going to sing a couple of songs for you. But our theme this week was um, Game On. And the kids learn something different each night. The first night they learn, can you answer for me? You think can? First night they learn that Jesus, Jesus cares for us. The second night they learn that Jesus gives us. The third night they learn that Jesus helps us. And then the last night they learn that Jesus, Jesus loves us. And then the last night we kind of learn that Jesus gives us. Joy, and they memorized the verse for the week too. Will, Will, and Piper may trade off here. Y'all both do it together. Come on, you got it. I help you. No, y'all all want to do the verse together? Come on, Piper. Piper's got it. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by. His own, his divine power and uh, godliness. Second Peter 1, 3. Good job. And so I'm going to let you watch the quick video real quick that recaps the week. And then the kids are going to sing a VBS song for you.
This year that VBS fell the week before um, Father's Day because they learned so much about how our Heavenly Father loves us and cares for us and what all he does for us through the week. I um, mean, they have one more song they're going to sing for you, but a couple of kids were going to just share a few verses of scripture with you first. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Ephesians 6, 6 2. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Romans 8, 15. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God in such way. 1 John 3, 1. Our are for the reason the world, world does not know us because it is it did not know him. First John three one. 
you'll stand with us. We're going to sing as a congregation again. This is a song we've not really done before, but you've probably heard it, and it's just great for Father's Day. <clears throat> so we're going to sing um, Good, Good Father together.
Father God. Lord, thank you so much that you set um, you set the perfect examples for our dads of, of who we need them to be for us, God. And Lord, I thank you especially that when our earthly fathers may not do that exactly, that we don't have to fear our worry, God, because we always have a Heavenly Father who never gets it wrong. And God, I thank you for um, the men who so diligently serve this church, God, and who, who father all the children in this church, Lord. And for the men who, Lord, may not even have kids in this church, but love the kids who are here and are raising them up in your way and in your path, God. Lord, I pray for us as we remember our um, fathers and grandfathers who have gone before us, God, and who have set an example for us to follow. And Lord, most importantly, I just once again thank you for the good, good father you are. And I'm so grateful that you're perfect in all your ways, God, because I know I never will be. But I know that even when I'm not, your great love still covers me. And that you still love and care for me even when I fall short, God. Lord, I pray that today we'll be reminded of all the godly men in our life who point us towards you. And Lord, I, I pray that we will just embrace them with love. And I pray that each one of them will be immensely blessed today, God. Lord, we lift our fathers up to you. And Lord, we thank you for being our father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Catherine. If um, ages three through kindergarten at this point can leave with our children's volunteers and the rest of us, please turn to Psalm 73. Is he really a good, good father? Is God a good God? Amen. We know that he is, but at times we question his goodness. Several weeks ago, one of our youth asked me uh, before church, I was in my office, and stopped by and asked me a, a question. And uh, this morning's sermon, I hope to address some of the answer, because it's a, a question that really, it's very difficult to exhaust all that needs to be said about it. I think the whole Bible ultimately addresses it, but here's the question. If God is a good God, then why do so many bad things happen? And why do so many bad things happen to good people? So that question has been looming on my heart and on my mind for several weeks, and, and I'm going to spend the next few Sundays dealing with that question and, and trying to answer it biblically from the perspective of how good God really is. So let's turn to Psalm 73. This student was not the first person who's ever asked that question, and, and they certainly will not be the last. In Psalm 73, a man named Asap asked this question. We're going to read this psalm, and then we're going to see what he learned, and then... Kind of do a panorama, big picture perspective on how good God is uh, and how he's revealed himself to be good in, in, in different ways. 
So Psalm 73, verse 1, are you there? The screen's there, which is always helpful. Amen. Look at what he says. He says, surely. <laughs> and that word in itself sounds as if he's, he's struggled with this a little bit. He's, he's wrestled with it. Surely God is good to Israel, to his people, to his children. Surely he's good. And to those who are pure in heart. And he says in verse 2, personal testimony. He says, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. He's talking about the pitfall, the temptation that he was being led into. And then he, then he says this, he says, for I was envious of the arrogant. And I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That there are no pains in their death. And their body is fat. And they're not in trouble like other men. Nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock. They wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They've set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue parades through the earth. Notice one of the mistakes. They, 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 they. It's repeated over and over. He's got his, he's got his eyes off of God and his goodness onto other people. And he's saying, God, they're getting away with it. <laughs> they're living apart from you and it seems like everything's going well with them. Then he continues, verse 10, Therefore his people return to this place. Waters of abundance are drunk by them. And they say, and he quotes what he felt they were saying, How does God know? You know, where is he? They're living, they're living life apart from God. And, and then in verse 11, Is there knowledge with the Most High? Asaph says, These are the wicked. They're always at ease. They've got it made. Where are you, God? They've increased in wealth. Then here's the most dangerous statement. He basically says, God, trusting you was a waste. Look at verse 13. Surely in vain. I've kept my heart pure. I've washed my hands in innocence. God, I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. They've got it made, God, and I'm serving you, and I'm being disciplined by you. What's up with that, God? <laughs> right? And at the heart of it is the same question the student asked me. God, why are bad things happening to me and good things happening to others? But notice in verse 15 there's a transition, there's a change in tone. If, if in verses 1 through 14 he was in danger spiritually of, of doubting God's goodness and wanting to be done with the whole thing, verse 15 is his deliverance. He, he changes his tone, his outlook, his perspective. He puts duct tape over his mouth, which is sometimes a pretty wise thing to do. He says, uh, if I had said that, 
If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. God, I would have gone against your children and everything you've done with them from, from history past. So he says, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. And here's the turning point in verse 17. Until I did what? I came into the sanctuary. I went to church. And then I began to perceive their end. Ah, now here's the perspective I need. Here's the clarity we need. We need to see God and in His sanctuary, not only who He is, but what He's done and how good He is. Which is why when we come to the sanctuary, what are we, what are we to behold? We are to behold our children just saying it. How great the Father's love is for us. To turn our thinking back to health, to, to spiritual health. Then in verse 18, he starts to work this out. He's talked himself through it. He says, surely, God, you have set them in slippery places, and you've cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors, like a dream when one awakens. O Lord, when aroused, thou wilt despise their form. God, judgment is coming. I forgot about that. I forgot that you were sovereign, you were in control, and you're going to deal with it. Verse 21, when my heart was embittered, and he was bitter, he was envious. I was pierced within, I was senseless, I was ignorant. In other words, he was stupid. I was like a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I, and, and here he's, he's experienced a bit of revival. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. You've taken hold of my right hand with thy counsel thou wilt guide me and afterwards you're going to receive me to glory. Now he not only sees God but he sees the future for God's people. Ultimate glory and destiny. Then look at what he says in verse 25. What a praise, what a doxology. He says, and this is where we all need to be. This is where we all got to get to. He says, whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from thee, they will perish. Thou hast destroyed all those who are unfaithful to thee, but as for me, he speaks for himself, the nearness of God is my good. So now he's saying not only is God good, but God is the greatest of goods. He's the ultimate good. The highest of goods. The good that is so good that everything that's good comes from him. So he says, I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all thy work. So he works it out within. He struggles with it. He wrestles with it. What was his question? God, are you good? And then he comes to the conclusion that God, not only are you good, but you're the ultimate good. And now I want to tell others how wonderful you are. Father, thank you for the process that you take us all through, that we struggle with bitterness and envy. We are sinners in and of ourselves. And that means we're fallen. Our, our thinking 
at times becomes very cloudy, uh, becomes doubtful. But here we are again in the sanctuary, and my responsibility is to uphold and lift before us your goodness. So that when we feel ourselves slipping and fading and becoming apathetic and disheartened and bitter, that it will be your goodness that will lead us to repentance. Your goodness will set our minds back straight so that we can continue to worship you, serve you, and love you as the highest good. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. So what we have before us is this. Is God really a good, good father? Now, I really believe that God has created all of us with a desire for the ultimate heavenly father. He he made us to, to long for that and to want that. And so what the Bible holds before us is this great joy and opportunity of knowing God not only as our Savior, not only as our God, but to know God as Father, which is why fatherhood is very crucial in the life of, of all of us. I'll never forget, after Tracy and I got married, there was a chaotic scene in an airport in North Carolina. I, I assume we were flying home to Georgia. Just as easy to drive, but for whatever reason, we were in a, an airport, I think, in Greensboro, North Carolina, and it was complete pandemonium. And there was this dad at the ticket counter dealing with the people who staff, on staff with the airline, and I don't know what was going on. I can't remember, but all I remember was that this dad had three stair-step children, and those children were behind their father, and they were going, Daddy. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And that stuck in my mind. And so when Tracy and I got done with all that, I was like, we need some, we need some pets. And so we, we adopted a couple of kittens, and we named them Andy and Country. And Tracy and I jokingly would say, yeah, go, Daddy will feed you. And then go over to the, Daddy will put you out, and Mommy this, and Daddy that. And little did we know... <laughs> That it wasn't very long after that that we had our firstborn son, Eli, and I really found out what daddy began to mean. And then recently I was lying with my fifth son, Bennett, and we were watching The Incredibles. You know, The Incredibles, they're coming out with a new Incredibles movie. Well, Bennett, it's been years since the original. Bennett's never seen the original Incredibles. And so we're lying on the couch watching The Incredibles, and during The Incredibles, he turns to me and he says, Dad, you're just like Mr. Incredible. <laughs> hey, ask my older boys if I'm, if I'm Mr. Incredible or not, and you'll get, you'll get an honest answer. I'm, I'm anything but. I, t- I told Bennett, I said, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Unincredible, all right? And you, But see, all of us are looking for this hero savior, right? This perfect father to be our our Mr. Incredible, right? To rescue us and care for us and make everything better. You know why? Because life is tough. We're sinners living in a sinful, sin-cursed world. 
and the daily grind. And and, and, and Asaph, the, the writer of Psalm 73, was there. So I mean, I says, I, I don't get it, God. Here we are your children, and where's your care? Where's your provision? I only, I only say this because this psalm proves to us that it's a common question, and, it, and it's an honest question. And I think I pointed this out as I read through it, that our great need is to keep coming into the sanctuary of God so that we can see again how good He really is. Because Asaph was doubting it. And he was wondering whether it's just, I might as well invest in the ways of the world, because at the moment, at the moment, this doesn't appear God to be, to be very good. So what I want to do is, I'm, I'm not going to expound this psalm, which is what I would really like to do. I, I hope you'll go home and read this. This is a psalm that you need to come back to again and again and again when you struggle with this issue. And, and, and I know that all of us struggle at times with, is God really not just good, but is He the ultimate good? Is He really a good, good Father, a good Abba, a good daddy to us. And so in the sanctuary, one of the things that God's people have historically done is we get the bigger picture, okay, to live outside of our moment. Because Asaph was stuck in a moment. He wasn't in a good place. And when you're not in a good place, give your heart and your mind time to process the bigger picture. Now, Asaph never really, he doesn't say whether or not he understood why he was suffering, but, but he does have the bigger picture. And that's what you and I have to hold before. So, Pastor Neil, what is the bigger picture? Well, I'm going to give us that, and then in the weeks to come, I'm going to get a little more detailed The first thing I want us to remember is God's goodness in creation. God's goodness in creation. Now go to Genesis 1 and you will find this repeated. And he saw that it was what? Good. God breathed this universe into existence. And when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you hear good, good, good. Good. And then you hear very good. Because he not only creates the world, but he creates relationships and people. So let's think about how good God is to us. Just in the things we enjoy on a daily basis that we did not make. Did you create yourself? No. Did you create the things that you enjoy daily that are good? No. As someone said, if a turtle finds himself on top of a fence post, he didn't put himself there. God has created us. And it's good. Man, one of these hot summer days this past week, I went to the grocery store and got me a slice of watermelon. Chilled that thing off, popped it in my mouth, and I said, mmm, that's good. (laughs) My wife tells me, she says, all these warnings about salmonella and watermelon and fruit. And you go to Ingles and you buy watermelon. But it was so good. 
freshly cut grass, cup of coffee in the morning, throwing baseball with your sons. We get sunrises, we get sunsets, we never lift a finger. Not only has he created the world, but he sustains the world even in its fallenness. Because after creation, there was something that was not good. And what was not good was man alone. God said, that's not good. (laughs) So he brings Eve to him. Then not long after that, in Genesis chapter 3, the whole thing could have unraveled. And God had every right to be done with humanity forever. But what does he do? In his gracious kindness and goodness, he allows them to live. And he provides coverings for them. And he continues to care for them as a good father even after they've sinned. So in the book of Acts, those preachers of the gospel said, God has not left himself without witness in that he did good to you by giving you rain and giving you sun and air and breath and life. It's called common grace. It's what all of us enjoy that's good from God just because. Just because we are created in His image and this is His world. And He created it and He sustained it. God is good. So here's a question. In response to the why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, I want to ask a different question. Why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? (laughs) Why do bad things happen to good people? Let's, Let's change that. Why do good things happen to bad people? Every day, God does very good to very bad people. Jesus says it in the book of in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. He says, Your heavenly Father, he says, Love your enemies. Why? Because your heavenly Father is constantly doing good to evil and ungrateful people. It's called common grace. Why do good things happen to bad people? Here's one reason because God is good, He is very good. And he's patient, and he's long-suffering, and he's generous. And once you begin to grasp that, what did Jesus say? You love your enemies, and you be like your heavenly Father. He's perfect. He points to his goodness. The second thing I want you to understand, and, and, and myself to understand again, because these are things that need to be repeated, his goodness in providence. And what I mean by that, is God works all things together for good to those who love Him and to those who are called according to His purpose. That's what Asaph said. Surely God's good to Israel. Surely He's good to those who are pure in heart. But right now, I didn't feel like life was working out that way. Well, He wasn't the first one. So let me give you a couple of places you can go to see that God worked evil into ultimate good. Have you ever read the story of Joseph at the end of Genesis? His brothers were horrible to him. They were going to kill him, but instead they say, well, why kill him when we can get money for him? So they sold him into slavery. 
And time and again, Joseph ran up to difficulty and adversity and roadblock. And through it all, he kept his heart pure. He said no to some things 99% of the people would say yes to out of devotion and love to God. And in the end of that book, Genesis chapter 50, he says something amazing as he has the chance to either pay his brothers back or forgive them. And Joseph says, am I in the place of God? He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about this present result. So when others mean evil against you. And you are questioning God's providence and his sovereignty and his goodness. Go go to places like Genesis 50 and see how God ultimately worked what was bad in Joseph's life to a greater good. And he accomplished in Joseph's heart grace and forgiveness. And for his brothers who had done him wrong, a great provision For all of his people. Then there are some times that difficulty comes and seems absolutely senseless. Go to the book of Job. Throughout the book of Job it continues to remain, from Job's perspective, a mystery as to why he's suffering. That's one of the issues we're dealing with. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Job was a righteous man. Job was God's child, serving faithfully. Yet Job went through the kind of suffering that you and I wouldn't dare think about going through or wishing on anyone else. And so at the end of Job, you see Job never really knowing why he was facing evil and suffering. Now we the reader know because there was a battle going on in the heavens between God and Satan. And Job is the, Job is the target. He's the issue. With everything that Job lost, read the end of Job. God blessed him more at the end than he ever had in the beginning. God worked all things together for good. So all I'm saying is that God gives us two really good examples uh, in Joseph and Job of people who faced enormous suffering A lot of it was very mysterious. Some of them never got the answers. But God worked it all together, what? For good. So you've got his goodness in creation. You've got his goodness in providence. But really the place to go is to redemption. His goodness in redemption. What do you mean by that, Pastor Neil? I mean specifically that God promised In Genesis chapter 3, that he was going to rescue and redeem his people. And then generations went by, and in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've got God coming through with the greatest of promises. And showing that Jesus, the ultimate sinless, suffering servant, the Bible says this over and over, it was because of his goodness and his kindness, and his righteousness, and his mercy, that God came down in his Son and sacrificed himself for us so that we might be forgiven, so that we might know that God is our Abba Father. What did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What is God like? Who is God like? What kind of Father do we have? 
Redemption tells us that He is very good, that He's just, that He's righteous, that God demonstrated His love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So you got the righteous dying for the unrighteous. You got one being made sin so that we might be forgiven. And so some theologians call it like this you have the most horrible thing that could ever happen made the most wonderful thing that has ever happened. Because what did man do with Christ? They crucified him. Pure, sinless, holy Lamb of God. God dying on a cross. And those who were standing around, his followers, said, this is horrible. They didn't understand it. They couldn't grasp it. But look at what God did. He turned the most horrible thing from the human perspective that could have ever happened, God dying on a cross at the hands of wicked, evil, sinful men, to the most wonderful thing that has happened, and that you and I, through that, have forgiveness and righteousness and a relationship with God the Father. So R.C. Sproul was asked this. When someone asked him, why do bad things happen to good people? R.C. Sproul's answer is, well, that's only happened one time. And he volunteered. He's talking about Jesus. Because there's no one good but God alone. And look at what sinful men did to the ultimate good. Crucified the ultimate good. So you see his goodness in redemption. The Apostle Paul later says that if our Father is so good that he would not withhold his Son from us, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? In other words, if God kept that promise to demonstrate his goodness, we have the kind of father who is willing to die for us. And even though you might not have all your questions answered, you may not have all the specific details and timelines, that still you can trust him because you know the main thing about him. So Spurgeon said about this, God is too wise to be mistaken. He's too good to be unkind. So when you can't trace his hand, what do you do? You trust, you trust his heart. You trust his heart. The goodness of God in redemption, in sending his son as the good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep. He did it voluntarily. He did it sacrificially. He did it as a substitute, and it was satisfying and pleasing to God the Father, satisfying the just righteousness demands of the character and the law of God. God came down to us to redeem us. But that's not all. So you've got the goodness of God in creation. You've got the goodness of God in providence, in working all things. You've got the ultimate good in that he has redeemed us through the blood of his Son. But that's not all. We have a good future. That's one of the things that encouraged Asaph. He said, think about the end, okay? Right? All's well that ends well, okay? All's well that ends well. And as he looked at what God had promised to his people, this is before Christ, this is before the cross, this is before the resurrection. 
He says, God, I know you're going to end this well for your people. And so what he was looking at was the promises that God had made to his people of of the future, of the new heaven and the new earth, when everything's going to be perfect. There is coming a time when he, and, and it says this, he makes all things beautiful in his time. He he turns our bad things to good, and the good things he promises, we will never, ever lose those things. So the last area of his goodness is demonstrated, and I'm going to call this glorification. When the world is finally put right, we have paradise supersized and superseded. (laughs) That sounds like something you'd order at McDonald's, doesn't it? It's cliche, but if you read the back of the book, where's this whole thing going? The new heaven and the new earth. So the goodness that is the ultimate goodness that is God himself, we get along the way. And then we get that in an infinite, eternal, unlimited, untainted, unbroken way. And the Bible puts it like this in different places. One day we shall be like him. Can you think of anything more glorious than the resurrection body of Jesus? That clarified the minds of the disciples when they were wondering, what happened at the cross? What was going on? We left everything to follow him. God raised him up from the dead glorious. Paul tells us that one day our bodies will be transformed to be like his. The new heaven where there's no more suffering, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain. And we see him finally as he is and we are like him. We can't imagine the glory that is to come. The redemption of the body, the redemption of the earth, the redemption of heaven. All God's promises are good. So not only is he good, not only is he doing good, but he will give ultimate good to those who love him in glorification of the body, redemption of the body, and the new heaven and the new earth. Sounds like a really good Curious George episode. (laughs) Curious George would get in all kinds of messes. The man in the yellow hat, he'd always disappear. Where is he gone? What's he doing? I told my wife one time, Curious George ought to be Romans 8, 28, because with Curious George, everything ends up working out really well, you know? And that's how I feel about the Bible and what it teaches us. It doesn't give us all the answers. But it does tell us that in the end, everything worked out really, really well. I did a funeral yesterday for a lady named uh, Thelma Cook. I've been disconnected from this family for years, but because I kind of knew the sons, they asked me to come to LaGrange yesterday afternoon and preach the funeral. And, and, and I'll be honest, not, not knowing a whole lot about her life personally, I was struggling. How do you comfort a family that just lost their mom the day before Father's Day? And I I really don't know them that well, didn't really know her that well. God, give give me something good to share. Well, then he says to me, not audibly, but internally, well, what have you been doing all week? 
Well, I've been doing Bible school. Well, what have you been learning in Bible school? Yeah, I'm weird. I have conversations with myself. <laughs> well, on day one, we learned that, that God cares. And that we're like that one lost sheep. He's got 99. But he loves every single individual. And he pursues and rescues that one lost sheep. And he brings it on his back rejoicing. That's how God the Father feels about all of us. Look at the, the prodigal son returning and the, the joy in the Father. God cares about us. What's day two? That God is our hope. If he raised Lazarus up from the dead, he's the resurrection of life. What else, what's day three? Doubting Thomas. God helps us believe when we struggle, as Asap was struggling, as this student was struggling with this question. God, are you really good? God helps us believe. Thomas said, ultimately, my Lord and my God, now I see it. You're, you're, you're raised from the dead. And then day four, the beloved disciple John felt so loved by Jesus. And John wrote, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Day five, God is our ultimate joy. You see, everything you really needed to know, you learned in Bible school, right? Sounds like a great book, but I'm sure it's already been written. Everything you needed to know, you learned in Bible school. So that's what I did. I shared with this family, listen, we don't have all the answers, but what we do know we know that God cares, we know that God loves, we know that God is our hope, we know that God is our joy, and we know that God is going to help us to believe. Is he a good father? Absolutely. Look at what we already know. He's told us all we need for life and godliness. What, what should our response be to that? Repentance, faith, trust, service, joy, or, or like one little girl who prayed this week one night during Bible school, we handed her the mic to close out the evening. She said her prayer, and at the end of her prayer, she says this. She says, I love you, God. Amen. Every single one of us needs to be able to have a place in our life for the kind of relationship with him that we can say, God, I grasp your love for me. I love you back. I serve you back. I rejoice in you back. Asap found that place where God was his greatest good. God had peeled away everything else but that relationship with himself. The other week I was visiting Peggy Banks in the hospital, and she says to me, Neil, I've spent time this morning alone with God, and she says, every single one of us need that place where we're alone with just us and just God. If you've got that, you've got the ultimate good. You've got Abba. You've got your Father. Father, thank you this morning for what you've shown us throughout the Bible, particularly in Psalm 73. Forgive us when we doubt your goodness. We know that you're constantly good and doing good and preparing good for us as our Father. And it must grieve your heart when we do not live as if you are the ultimate good and the source of all good. 
So may our response be to repent, for it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That we would rejoice because you love us, that we may not have anything else. If we have that, it is sufficient, it is enough, it is the ultimate good. Everything flows from your goodness and your grace. Thank you for being so kind, so merciful, so faithful, without ever compromising your holiness and your justice. You sent Jesus to take that penalty, to take our judgment. Thank you for what you've done. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. It is well with my soul. You come as we sing.
Let's pray. Uh, God, we're just grateful for the message that you've uh, shared with us through Neil today. God, help us to remember that your goodness does not lie in our circumstances, but on your finished work. Um, God, on today at Father's Day, I'm grateful for the gifts that you've given me with my children, God. And just help me to focus on that truth, on that gospel daily so that I can lead them uh, to you. God, I pray as we uh, take up this offering, Father, that you would um, take it, Father, and use it uh, for your kingdom's sake, God, and, and, and just direct us and and how to, to, to bring about the good news to those in this community, God, and to lead those to, um, to disciple others. We just thank you for who you are. Same, I pray. Amen. Let's stand for our benediction, please. One of the things we're doing, missions-wise, is supporting, the, to my right, you see this balloon that's flapping in the air conditioning? <laughs> the VBS offering this year went toward a people group in Mozambique who do not have the Gospels in their language. And so the churches in the Carrollton Baptist Association are combining their VBS offerings to support putting the gospel of John in their native language. So Glenlock chose John chapter 4. And I think we've got, how many verses do we get there? 21? Can you see there? Okay, 21 verses. If any of you, and we wrote VBS beside each verse, I'm going to leave this chart up here a couple of weeks. If any of you for $25 want to add to the offering the children took to sponsor more verses... We would certainly encourage you to do that so that we can reach the goal of John chapter 4. But again, the gospel of John is going with the uh, cooperative effort of, of all the Carrollton Baptist Association churches. So Glenlock is, is called to do our part. So if any of you are interested in that or have questions about putting John 4 
in their native language, please see me or Erica. All right, Catherine, will you come and lead us in our benediction? Thank you for being here today. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.